firstly, I want to say sorry. And I'm sorry for the things we simply didn't get right, and also sorry for the way that this matter has been handled. And it's no use saying that this or that was within the rules, and it's no use saying that people were working hard. This pandemic was hard for everyone. The public know this is a man they can no longer trust. He has been investigated by the police. He misled the House. He must now resign. By routinely breaking the rules he set, the Prime Minister took us all for fools. He held people sacrificing contempt. He showed himself unfit for office. His desperate denials since he was exposed have only made matters worse. Rather than come clean, every step of the way, he's insulted the public's intelligence. And now he's finally fallen back on his usual excuse. It's everybody's fault but his. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Backstory. I'm Dana Lewis. That was the ruckus, angry, circus-like environment of British Parliament this week, and last week, and the week before. What's the big deal? Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, had a glass of wine at his official residence during lockdown. Oh, but first he said he didn't. And then he admitted there were some parties during lockdown at 10 Downing Street. Then more revelations, in fact, there were at least 14 parties. Boris said he didn't attend them. Then pictures leaked of him being there. Then he said he thought there were work gatherings. BYOB, bring your own booze gatherings. That's what they were. Then we found out they were going away celebrations for staff. Then his own birthday party with a cake. Then his staff were caught on videotape, a leaked tape, which showed them holding a mock news conference laughing about the drinks and how the public would be told it was a workplace meeting. One resigned. More photos leaked of more parties. Oh, it's been weeks of endless revelations, and the Prime Minister seemed to lie to Parliament, at first denying all of it, and then he said he was sorry. Police are now investigating the matter. Johnson could be charged or fined, and maybe he will have to resign. But he's holding on and on and on. On this backstory, we talked to columnist turned politician Edward Lucas and British TV presenter and radio host Martin Stanford. Joining me now is Edward Lucas, who is a well-known journalist and he is also now a candidate uh, in the Westminster riding uh, for the Liberal Democrat Party. Hi, Edward. Hey. What on earth is going on in Parliament? I mean, I, I don't think I have ever seen, I mean, it's always a bit of a circus, but I've never seen a spectacle like th this now party gate and Boris Johnson refusing to resign. It's awful in so many ways. And it, you know, it's partly that the Prime Minister broke the rules, let his staff break the rules, and that's an assault on the, the trust that holds democracy together. But then he's lied about it, and he's not just lied about it to the public, he's lied about it to Parliament. And that's an assault on the truth, and truth is another pillar of our system, which we can't do without. And the worst of it is he's getting away with it. And people say Boris is a swine, particularly the way he treats people, but he's really, he is the greased piglet. He's the 
animal you try and catch and it just wriggles out of your hands. And he's done that with this fancy footwork around the civil service inquiry and the police report. And the Conservative Party in Parliament is in a kind of despair. They can't stand what's going on, um, but they can't see any way of getting rid of him because they can't unite around any challenger who might get the votes to, 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 to turf him out. So they feel if they stick with him, that eventually this will blow over. Their one hope is that it's a long time for the next election, could be as late as April 2024, and a lot can happen by then. And maybe the economy will recover, maybe people have forgotten all this, maybe the Labour Party will be going to another bout of its self-destruction. All sorts of things can happen. In the meantime, they've got a majority of 80, so let's play for time. And that's basically their thinking. Can you tell an international audience how unprecedented is it for a British prime minister to now being potentially interviewed by the police under warning and he may face a charge or a fine or both or either? We've had plenty of prime ministers in the past who've broken the law, but not in the recent past. So this this lying to parliament, misleading parliament, is normally a resigning offence. And it seems to me it's clear he has misled Parliament and he's not resigning. And that's that is so he's been caught out misleading Parliament, which is one of the gravest offences in our Constitution. And he's not resigning. He's getting away with it. What should happen? I mean, the the opposition will continue to call for him to resign. It is overshadowing huge domestic problems, uh, economic problems, international affairs. He had to cancel a meeting with President Putin to discuss a possible war in Europe with Ukraine. How does this end? It's trashing our international reputation. It's a huge distraction from the urgent problems that we face. It's impeding the effectiveness of government everywhere. And the right thing to happen would be for Conservative MPs in large numbers to say they have no confidence in him. There would then be a vote of no confidence. They should vote against him. He would lose that. And they would then elect another prime minister. And then, and then ideally, we should have a general election um, where the voters could give their verdict on that. But none of that is going to happen. The Conservative MPs are privately disgusted, but they're also cowards. They're afraid of what will happen if they have to see the, see the verdict of the voters. And the result is we are stuck. Most dishonest and ineffective prime minister in living memory. Last question to you. Is there any slack that we can cut number 10 Downing Street, where you say they were working 24-7 dealing with the pandemic um, while the rest of us were under lockdown? They, They had to stay and deal with a crisis and they had a glass of wine after work. Or is it much more sinister than that? Many people would cut them some slack if they'd been truthful about it. If they said, look, we're working 16 hour days, we were all in the same bubble. Yes, we got together and had some drinks. No, we shouldn't have done it. It looks terrible. It was terrible. We're really sorry. And I think it would have been over within a couple of days. It's this long drawn out drip, drip, drip of denial, evasion, obfuscation and untruths. This is trashing our international reputation. It's trashing our sense of truth and of trust and of fairness. And it's a huge obstacle to the effectiveness of government. And I see no way of it ending. Edward Luke, it's good to talk to you. And thank you so much. Pleasure, Dan. Bye-bye. All right, Martin Stanford is a friend and colleague, and he's a British journalist, former TV host for Sky News and many others, and he anchors LBC News, which is a great news program. Hi, Martin. Hi there, Dana. 
Is the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson about to be forced out of office? Uh, yeah, could be. Um, I think it's it's a little more in the balance that some of his supporters would uh, make you believe. Um, here's the thing: he was always an extrovert, always a different kind of politician. Um, the simplest comparison is that he is a British Trump, but that's too simple because I don't think he's actually, if I may say so, he's a lot more sophisticated, and I think he is a lot more dangerous. And um, than perhaps D Donald Trump was in the rather brute force that he took to the American political system. I think in the United Kingdom, we have never seen a prime minister like this. Um, but Boris Johnson is a politician that no one has ever he seen the like of, I think, certainly in living memory. And he's a strange and peculiar combination because in some ways he's not the hard right of centre guy that some might portray him as. Because on some issues, of course, on, I suppose, he got Brexit done, you could say he's a hard right winger. But on many other things, the conundrum then starts to speak to the fact he's a cuddly kind of guy who wants to save the planet. And actually, he wants to level up the opportunities, the life opportunities for people who are born whether you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you have wealthy parents, or whether you have poor parents. He actually wants to do right by you. He's more sophisticated, I think, than Trump because he's much more multi-layered. I think kind of with Donald Trump, what you saw was what you got. And, you know, right through to those uh, dramatic conclusion, if you like, after he'd lost the, lost the election and the assault on the Capitol, all that kind of stuff. Um, that kind of provided a conclusion. Now, you're not going to get that with Boris Johnson, whether he, well, thank goodness. in the end, well, thank goodness, absolutely. In the end, he has not got the kind of support that, come what may, they're not going to try and do a Guy Fawkes and burn uh, the Houses of Parliament on the banks of the Thames down. That ain't going to happen. Um, but his own flaws as an individual, perhaps, may well bring the Conservative Party to the conclusion that they're better off without him. I think it's teetering on the edge of that conclusion at the moment. And we may see within a, within the month, we're going to find out one way or the other. Okay, so I, I, you know, pretty, I'm not a cynic, but I'm sceptical. And I tend to think that parties will do whatever they need to do to stay in power. Exactly. And right now, Boris Johnson has been there. You know, he took them in the last election to, you know, a majority like they haven't seen, I think, ever before, right? And so do they, at what point now in this party gate, do they begin to say, this guy is an extreme liability now. It, we, we are going to lose seats, we are going to lose power, and therefore we won't support him. And they don't appear to be at that level right now. No, they're not. And there's a number of reasons why they're at that it, uh, power. Now, look, if you looked at the opinion polls, across the nation of the United Kingdom. Right now, if you were able to magic up a general election across the country, um, the Labour Party would almost certainly be the most dominant party. They might even have an outright majority. It wouldn't be very big, but it would certainly be Boris Johnson and his Conservatives would be out of office. And there's a sort of turn and turnabout thing in the pendulum swing in British politics. You know, they've been in power for whatever it is, it's coming up for 18 years. So maybe it's the Labour's turn. Maybe it's the guys, the other guys get a chance to run probably for four, maybe eight years. 
that's that's the sort of thing that could happen. Um, but the reason why that might uh, not happen is exactly to what you say, is that when they're in a difficult spot, a political party has to make that calculation to say, okay, our leader has messed up. Well, I don't like that aspect of him. I don't like that aspect of him. But actual fact, he won us the biggest majority in living memory. And if we can just get over this hump, uh, then maybe he can win us a bigger one or win us again another four or five years in power. And time, and that, time is on their side right now because they have like another two years in power? They do indeed. Now, one of, one of the more significant moments could be coming up. I said, I said within the month, maybe I should say within two months. Because in May, in the United Kingdom, up and down the United Kingdom, not everywhere, but we have the regional and local elections, which in and of themselves, on the great scheme of things, uh, politicians come, politicians go. But it's the overall score chart. So that's a big soccer game for British politics. And yeah. if it is the case that uh, Boris Johnson loses a huge number of councillors in cities and villages and small towns, uh, and the Labour Party and the other parties too. Um, the Scottish parties could do well in their elections. Uh, the Green Party, uh, very modestly represented at the moment, but actually at local level, they have they have more fans. These people could do well. And if you end up with some kind of big scorecard, at the end of the day, you've lost 8,000 councillors and the other guys have got 10,000 back on their team. That doesn't affect the national politics or the MPs in the House of Commons. Of course it doesn't. But it sends a message that this guy at the top is now a loser. And then I think we could see things spiral very fast. And how much of that do you think, if that happened tomorrow, would be Partygate and Boris Johnson's lies to Parliament and this slow drip trickle of, you know, he wasn't at the parties didn't know about the parties. Okay, maybe there was a party, but he wasn't there. But then he was there, uh, but he didn't know it was a party. He thought it was a work gathering. I mean, I, I think I've kind of summed up what you've been talking about day by day. How much of it would be that versus just the fact people are suffering through a huge inflationary period like they are in every country? Gas prices are going up and people are really under financial pressure right now. Yeah, and that financial pressure, Dana, is going to get worse and worse. And this is the next couple of months when a lot of things kick in. Um, in the United Kingdom, we're about to get a ruling from the people who set the prices of the fuel you burn at home. So natural gas, LPG gas, that kind of stuff that comes into your houses to run the central heating system. The price of electricity could well go up in homes. Um, on top of that, they're already baked in. They've announced some a modest increase, but it's another 1.25 percent uh, where workers are going to see deductions from their salary. Uh, they're going to lose a bit more money come April, and you're actually going to see that amount of money. It's actually going to be labelled on your salary, your paycheck. So, so, so for electricity, yeah. For 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 electricity, uh, those prices could go up as well. And these low, these other taxes, people are going to see little amounts of money going out of their payslip. So yeah. people are going to up and down the country, whatever political persuasion you are, you're going to have a little less money in your payslip at the end of the day. Now that spells big danger particularly for Boris Johnson, particularly for the Conservative Party, who their brand, their number one brand is it's the economy. We look after the economy. We try and grow the economy. Everybody gets a little better off when the Conservatives are power. The way the story is going at the moment, Boris Johnson is rewriting that former truth. 
You know, I look at American politics. First of all, you know, you know, I'm Canadian and we look at American politics with eyes wide open, wondering how in the world did it democracy just south of the border develop like that? And then here I am in, in Britain. And I mean, people tend to be pretty tapped into news, first of all, I think less so down the rabbit hole with misinformation, but I mean, it's out there. And, and Brexit certainly was an example of some of that. Do you think that the appetite by, you know, the proper British um, customs and and it's, has that turned? I mean, will they swallow what Boris Johnson has done uh, at number 10 Downing Street? Or do, do you think that unlike America, they're not going to cut this this guy too much rope uh, because he has offended so many sensibilities on this party gate stuff? Um, I think in, in one sense, prior to the party gate thing and his management of the economy and coming in on this wave of success of Brexit, people were quite excited by Boris Johnson because he was fresh. He was different. He was loud. He was funny. He uses long words. He's very clever. He was not like any other politician. Well, he has that messy blonde hair. And you know what? It doesn't have to be messy. I'm told he deliberately messes it up every time he goes in a room to make sure it looks messy. So he's a much bigger personality than Britain have had in politics um, for many, many times. And this is why I think he, as a politician, reached other parts of the country that other politicians, perhaps of any colour or hue or persuasion, had reached. He persuaded a lot of working class voters who'd worked for the Labour Party, the left of centre party, all their lives, generations, fathers, grandfathers, all had voted Labour. He was somebody they could identify with. He was some well, he was had a had a he definitely had a campaign they could identify. They were persuaded by the get Brexit done. And here was a loud, different, funny guy, an eccentric, who was going to make it happen. Now, if if, if anyone, any one of those constituents mm-hmm. up and down the land had followed the Boris Johnson story a bit more carefully, there would know there's some questions. I mean, yes, he was a very successful of our biggest city, London, uh, for two terms. But in that way, I think the history books there are that, like any good chief executive, he actually put a fantastically good team around, got them to do the hard stuff and took all the credit. And of course, he was that big personality um, giving London a big boost. In this way, because he came into power in this much more febrile, difficult circumstances with the country divided almost half and half, 52-48, he's got a strange he's got a strange job, Dana. He really has, because he's got his traditional right of center, fairly, don't make too much noise. You know, let's not let, let's not be vulgar here. Let's just get our politics done. That kind of constituency. You've got the let's go even further and let's really rule the world and let's stick it to those Europeans and da da da, all that kind of language. And you've got people who are not really Tories at all, but they just voted for Boris Johnson because they liked what he was saying back in 2018, 19. And that party, if if I can use that word, may be ending because people who identify. That's a tricky constituency of people to keep together. It's practically the whole of the UK. But he only had half of it or just over half of it, you know. Um, and it, so it, 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 political presumptions, political expectations are being rewritten 
it doesn't seem logical that if we our politics here in the United Kingdom turns down to more traditional ways of doing things with most people flopping around the center, a bit of it left for a few years, a bit right for a few years. I don't know how Boris Johnson does that because he is a one off. How is Boris Johnson using Ukraine right now? Is he using it as a yes. distraction or is that unfair that actually Britain's done some pretty good things in terms of beefing up anti-tank weapons in Ukraine and doing training on the ground? And and uh, and I assume it's just not Boris Johnson's policies. But, well, uh, do you know, I think it, it, it's both those things, Dana, if I, could, if I could say so. I think most British prime ministers, I would hope, would have taken seriously their responsibilities to European neighbours, almost because of Brexit, that they want to separate from Europe on that level, but they don't want to, they don't want to negate the threat. And there's no threat to the NATO alliance, I don't think, certainly not from Boris Johnson and his uh, team of politicians. Um, so any British prime minister you'd hope would be concerned about that. Now, does he really need to fly um, to Ukraine and have a quick one-hour press conference when actually he's asked a lot about who made the cake and stuff like that um, on, a, on a random Tuesday in uh, February? No, of course he doesn't. That's performance politics. But he can't, but uh, this is, significantly, he cancelled a phone call with President Putin to answer questions in Parliament about wine and cheese parties. And I mean, if, yeah. no matter how ridiculous all of this may be to some people, that's that's a pretty significant moment of non-diplomacy that didn't take place. Yeah. There's, a, there's a kind of drumbeat, though, of expectations in our parliamentary system. And when something significant has happened, yeah. the, the prime minister today would normally take the next available opportunity in the way they do the timetabling. It would normally be after the first business of the day. So 3.30 on a regular day um, or 11, uh, half past 10 some mornings, half past 11. It's all, it's all fitted in with that. He kind of, If he'd been missing from that slot, Dana, he would have been in big trouble. Why anybody scheduled the Putin phone call for four o'clock? Um, Lord alone knows. It was it was always bound to have to get juggled. But um, be that what it's may. So look, most most prime ministers, I think, would would take that thing seriously. This is the prime. This is the politician. I have to say, when he was back in the Theresa May government, he was foreign secretary, and um, therefore, of course, he can travel the world and go out and see people and do good things. But this was a politician. Or bad, things, there was or bad things in the case of Iran, maybe, but okay. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. And this is a politician when faced with a really tricky moment in the House of Commons. So he was member of a government. A motion was coming before the parliament, which he vehemently disagreed with about the expansion of Heathrow Airport, the airport just to the west of London. And he has for years and years said, no, 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 no it, sh it shouldn't be done. And yet the parliament, his government at the time, of which he was a significant member, was just going to knock it, wave this through. He orchestrated, Dana, to go to Afghanistan. I mean, to fly for what, how long does that take? 11, 12 hours or something? To go to a meeting, everybody knew he didn't really have to go there. There's a phone back in the, this is a couple of years ago, there was still internet there. He could have had a Zoom meeting with anybody in Afghanistan. He got out of the country just to avoid having the embarrassment of seeing a government of which he was part, a vote for something which he didn't agree with. Political dodgeball. Last question to you. I mean, if you, when you go through the newspapers here, I mean, they can cut a long political divide quite clearly. Yes. As a journalist covering this and watching other journalists and the, the way that they are covering Boris Johnson now, are you seeing a shift 
editorially um, in the way people now, much like you saw in America with Trump, the way they're covering him, is, is there a shift here in the way that they're covering this government and this prime minister? Um, I think so, yes. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's not decisive at this stage. So we have a middle market tabloid called the Daily Mail, uh, which is right of center, sometimes extremely right of center, traditional family values type of newspaper. They were absolutely behind Brexit, totally behind Boris. They helped get him elected. Whenever the Daily Mail starts to turn against a sitting prime minister, um, <laughs> the people in the press team, the people around the prime minister, you know, will alert them to that fact. It, it, it has a disproportionate amount of power for its readership. Now, there are other right-of-centre papers, left-of-centre papers and everything else. But if this newspaper in particular starts writing things um, about Boris Johnson that are not particularly flattering, then the alarm bells should ring. Now, at the moment, they're a bit, could I use, let me make a pun, they're having their cake and eat it. They write something a bit knocking of Boris Johnson one day, and then they say, it's time to forget all this party gate and let's get on with, uh, you know, enjoying Brexit. The next Sounds day. like they're having a hard time deciding which which horse they're on. If they are having a hard time, I think, and I don't think they've pulled the plug on his premiership yet. But look, other very serious newspapers, we have the Financial Times in the UK. It, it reports politics very well, and it tends to be a very neutral stance because it's primarily a financial services newspaper or, or the world of business and finance. But it, for instance, it's, it's significant that from being mildly tolerant, it's moved to being openly critical of the prime minister. So I think that tide is beginning to turn. You know, journalists are very, they're a bit like politicians. They're a bit opportunist, Dana. And I think they're waiting to see, is he going to crash and burn? In which case they'll say after the event, see, I told you so. Um, or is he going to survive? They might probably want to keep a little bit in reserve to say, see, I always knew he would survive and come back again in another term. Martin Stanford, you know, I know it takes a lot of energy to uh, to anchor a radio show every day and you do a great job. And and I know you're setting up those interviews and you're going live and you're having to switch and you're having. So I know I've tired you out even more than you deserve, but I really do appreciate <laughs> your time, Martin. Good to talk to you again. Great to chat to you, Dennis. Cheers. And that's our backstory for this week. Please subscribe to our newsletter if you haven't already. DanaLewis.substack.com. Lots of daily news and insight. I'm Dana Lewis. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you again soon.